You're listening to a podcast from the Media Motel. Coming up this week in episode 535, making an album with Tom Petty, unusual new albums from Three Heritage Acts, and Squid Game versus Strictly. There's only one winner. That's all coming up after the Lemonheads, and it's a shame about Ray. have a quick check to see if they're still a going concern and they oh. are but now with evan dando as the only member yes so. that makes sense yes always much more successful over here in the uk this is the title track from their breakthrough album in 1992 the Lemonheads, and it's a shame about ray I have that whole album on tape and it's still a joy. It still sounds great. I, uh, but they really were such a fantastic pop machine, I think, Evan Dando particularly. I'm sorry that time hasn't quite 
sort of lifted him onto the sort of pantheon of, mm. of, of great writers from that era, really, because I think he probably deserves it. But anyway, maybe they didn't make enough brilliant... I don't know. When I say maybe they didn't make enough brilliant records, that sounds really insulting. I don't mean it like mm. that. But may, maybe they didn't release enough records of that quality to, to to get themselves into that club. I don't know, but a shame because it's a glorious album. Yeah, I think you've summarised it perfectly there. Thanks very much for joining us for Parish Council episode mm. 535. I'm Terence Stackham and fashion icon to the millennium generation is Juliet Harris. Yes, I certainly look like that today with my techno record label T-shirt that is grey and orange and my uh, my blue and red flannelette pyjama bottoms. Yes, what can I say? They'll all be doing this in Hoxton next week. Hi, everyone. Ooh. What a picture you paint. I know, indeed. Look at the Catherine Cookson of this podcast, <laughs> painting a picture with words. In the last episode, in in, in one of our occasional Beatles specials, mm, yes. we, had, we had a good old look into the making of the Let It Be album as part of the new uh, Peter Jackson documentary, Get Back. And we all gained a good understanding of the processes and perhaps more the drawbacks of recording yeah. an album with the resources available in 1969. Mm. Um Perhaps by coincidence, November 2021 also saw the release of Somewhere You Feel Free, which is a feature film length documentary directed by Mary Wharton, looking into Tom Petty's life in 1993 and 94 as he worked with Rick Rubin to make the album Wildflowers. And before we talk about this documentary or movie, let's hear a 30 second clip of the title track, Tom Petty and Wildflowers. I'll say right from the off that I found this film to be thoroughly absorbing mm, and after great. Get Back, fascinating to see the development of studios and recording techniques from Savile Row in 1969 to Los Angeles 25 years later. Yeah, absolutely. Completely agree. And I've I've always quite liked Tom Petty without taking much of an interest in him or his music. Mm. Not not for any other reason than I just never seem to have enough time. Terrence, yeah, but anyway, I, I really enjoyed watching this like you did. Um, One thing I was struck by. So it's a, a YouTube original, the, the mm. link that, that, that we were sent to watch this. And so I watched it on my phone and. I don't know if it was deliberately made to look good on on mobile platforms, but I thought it looked fantastic and it sounded great. I I, I thought it was a really well made film, uh, just to, to start off with. I found it really absorbing, like you did. And the thing that I really liked about it was it was so straightforward. He was straightforward. The band mm. was straightforward. And 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 it didn't, I mean, we we talked ad nauseum on this podcast about how much we hate certain aspects of documentaries, talking heads, mm. voiceovers, that, and just narrative generally. And the thing I really liked about this was there was a sort of a narrative, but there wasn't really any attempts made to build up tension. I mean, the fact that they, that the drummer basically left because they didn't really sort of get on musically with him anymore. Um, no one, he didn't seem that up. He was quite sanguine about it. <laughs> Everyone was quite, it was just, it was, everything just seemed very straightforward and it could have been 
quite sentimental. And of course, it was underlined and sort of shadowed by the fact that Tom Petty isn't here anymore. So it was sort of made, but it wasn't a sort of a very teary tribute to him. It was, it was, I really liked the fact that it was, it was interesting about him making an album. He was adamant that it was a solo album, yet the Wildflowers still seemed to be on it. And and they'd said that he'd said afterwards, not the Wildflowers and the Heartbreakers. Heartbreakers. Yeah, the record is, is Wildflowers. But yeah, the, the, the Heartbreakers were still on it. And after they said that he'd said to them it was the best record they'd ever made. And I, I love the fact that he was just... He was just trying to get on with things, really. Rick Rubin came across really well, I thought, the producer. He just seems to be this incredibly zen man mm. mountain that just... That, and, and I didn't realise until Tom Petty was talking about it. I didn't realise he wasn't musically trained. Rick Rubin could not play any instruments. He I just really, mm. No, he just really likes music. And he's a great producer because he just really... he seems, It just goes to show you don't have to be able to play music to know how it sounds and what sounds good and, and what doesn't sound good. Um, I, I just thought that Tom Petty seemed what was interesting about it was that he was quite a quiet person that didn't really talk about himself or his life very much and actually wasn't really very comfortable not in a kind of a oh I'm I don't look at me don't look at me type way that some people often are but no he he just made the point it is really weird sitting down to do interviews and talking about yourself for hours on end Mm. and and yeah he, this was a very nice insight into him. I was really interested by the fact that they had his daughter on, who was like, oh, well, he, when he wrote that that song, he was blatantly going to divorce my mum, and then he did. But she was really kind of, mm. she was just really nice about him and seemed to really sort of relate to him in quite an adult way, I thought. And it was, I just thought it was a really lovely film, actually, and that it was very low-key, like him and it was a really nice reflection of him and what he was trying to do and like you say we saw a lot of them working in the studio to sort of make you know sort of write songs and that sort of thing and I I loved the fact that he wrote he wrote a song and he said that he just sort of played it and kept listening back to it obsessively and couldn't think of anything to sort of add to it really I, I, I just thought that he seemed like a really nice bloke just a very straightforward unassuming guy Everyone seemed to sort of like him and work well with him as a result of that. And although there wasn't any sort of jeopardy or tension in this, I didn't find it to be boring or or saccharine at all. I just thought it was refreshingly straightforward and really enjoyable as a result. Yeah, mentioning his daughter, I think the sort of sad aspect really was ensured the making of this album movie was so compelling is that Tom Petty described the the, the time a bit loosely as, uh, you know, I was disenchanted with my marriage. And, you know, we we found lyrics such as Mm. in the middle of his life, left his wife, he ran off to be bad, boy, it was sad, which Mm. was all probably with little comfort to Jane, his wife of 20 years. exactly. I also wondered whether this movie would have been released if Tom Petty hadn't died four years yes. ago. But nonetheless, yeah, I found it really absorbing. As you say, Rick Rubin seems to be a very likable man yes. and has the most delightful speaking voice. You could listen he to does, him for hours. It's he? so soothing. He is. I mean, I would love to work with him simply because maybe he gets people to make great records because no one's that worried. Because how yeah, could you be yeah. worried with Rick Rubin around you? He just seems so reassuring. There were similarities to get back uh, because um, cigarette smoke plumed and puffed everywhere. (laughs) And we also had a Billy Preston moment when Steve Ferrone from The Average White Band joined the sessions and seemed to lift the mood. And Ferrone also, uh, Steve Ferrone, what an element of commitment he showed way beyond the call of duty by having a Tom Petty lyric tattooed on his arm. I mean, that, that is commitment, isn't it, really? I admire that. 
cutie. And also, what a random mix as well. I love it when random people turn up. I would never have put Tom Petty and the average white band in the same box. Mm, and yeah, that seemed so to work true. really well. Yeah. I listened to the Wildflowers album this week, and it really is excellent. And mm. well, interesting, on its in, initial release in 1994, it reached 36 in the UK and eight on Billboard. Mm. Yes, it wasn't a huge success, was it, really? No, but it was, it, um, and I must have admit, I didn't, it just passed me by, but it was given an extended re-release in 2020, only mm. um, a year ago, and it bettered that. It reached number 19 in the UK and five in the in the USA. Ooh, I mean, that, I'm, I'm glad. Ago. Absolutely, although I, hit, I like that. Must have missed that. Yeah, there were quite a lot of things going on in 2020, despite the fact that nothing was going on. I think we were all a bit distracted <laughs> last year, weren't we? Tom Petty, "Somewhere You Feel Free," was released on the 11th of November, and as Juliet said, it's available free on YouTube. Coming next, unusual new albums from three of our most mm. established musicians. Yeah. That's right after Wet Leg.
I mean, I have various thoughts on that. Firstly, I thought the big D was my esteemed podcasting partner, but actually it turns out that it means degrees. So uh, so I have two big Ds in my life, which I'm delighted about. Um, also, if you made a record in a lab that that is the sort of record that I would like, it would be that record. Everything about that, I just eat up. You know, the fact it's female vocals, the fact that the the lyric is, is you have to be really clever to be that stupid in places. I think it is great. And also, this is rather relevant for me, this record, because unfortunately, and not to worry at our regular listeners, I tested positive for COVID earlier in the week. I feel absolutely fine. But for the, the next eight days, you will find me, to quote the earworming chorus, on the chaise long, on the chaise long, on the chaise long, all day long, on the chaise long. I, I, I listened to that song 10 times in a row, Terence. I can't get enough of it. That is a chaise long by Wet Leg. Can you, can you catch COVID by audio means? <laughs> I was going to say, I did have a message from a friend of mine saying that he's in three different group chats with people that have caught COVID and he's mm. sorry if he's spreading COVID <laughs> by MS, by Facebook Messenger from Ireland. So, uh, so well, it's yeah, just good that you're, you're say, in good form. Thank you. you. You may, your listeners may wish to stand two metres away from your yes. audio device and wear a mask. But um, but yeah, that's a great record, Terence. I love it's, that. It is a suspension track. Variety magazine describes them as an oddball British duo uh, while praising them highly. The, <laughs> I mean, that's us, isn't it, Terence? We, we sympathise with this. We're also true, an oddball British yes, duo. That's very true. I wonder if the band name will be a drawback. Wet yeah. leg. It's not the greatest. I, I wouldn't have thought. It's a bit like prefab sprout. It, it, it's not going to be, you know, mm, put on bit, people's bit, exercise well, I don't know. It would be interesting to see, although it did make me laugh that I've seen various sources that that's probably my single of the year and it's, it's got a lot of pick up in places and and they're being sort of written up in places them and a band that you introduced me to much earlier on this year i think called mm. dry cleaning i yes, think we played a song of those someone said it seems quite appropriate that wet leg and dry cleaning are being mentioned <laughs> in the same breath they go together yeah. quite well i think well as you said um we definitely live in strange and uncertain times and Absolutely. that seems to be reflected in some of the music releases mm. from our most established musicians at the moment um first up is toy it's mm. an, a new and in inverted commas album from david bowie this album has quite a history um recorded in 2001 ish it was scheduled for release in 2011 but it seems emi virgin wouldn't release it and so it's now up for official release in January 2022. Mm. So oddly, it's now available. This is very confusing. I know, but it's, now, it's available <laughs> now as part of a new box set, Brilliant Adventure 1992 to 2001. Many of the tracks on Toy are 2001 recordings of tracks Bowie had written or recorded way back in the early days of his career. Jules, you've had a chance to listen to Toy this week. Is it worth the wait? Do you know what? Strangely, I think it is. I had no hope for this at all. I mean, whenever someone says, oh, there's this album that's been sat on a shelf for 10 years, you think, hmm, why has it been sat on that shelf for 10 years? Maybe it isn't very good. I really enjoyed this. I thought it was really nice. I I loved hearing, I love older period Bowie's voice. It's different to, to young to young Bowie, obviously, but I loved the arrangements on this. I thought it was really interesting. I just found it a pleasant album to listen to. And I was I read up a little bit about this album because I was sort of semi-familiar with it but not really so I read a bit up on Wikipedia and um, interestingly the original plan was that Toy was going to come out in 2001 because they did I mean some of it they went on to make 
heathen instead. But Bowie was very hurt apparently by the fact that that um, EMI wouldn't wouldn't release it. Interestingly, David Bowie, an early adopter of the internet, and in mm. 2001 on his own site, he had a virtual chat with fans, and one of them asked about Toy, and he said, "I'm finding EMI slash Virgin seem to have a lot of scheduling conflicts this year, which has put a lot of um, stuff on the back burner." Toy is finished already and ready to go, and I'll make an announcement as soon as I get a very real date. In the meantime, I've already started recording and writing for another album, untitled at the moment. So far, I have to say it's back to experimental, but knowing me, that doesn't mean that that's how it will turn out. I shall be writing and recording throughout the summer, but daddyfying, what a great word, is really mm. my priority at the moment. And Visconti said that Bowie was really hurt by the fact they wouldn't mm. release Toy, and then he left Virgin EMI and then signed with Columbia to release uh, Heathen on his own label. You feel like saying to EMI Virgin, what a massive own goal. I feel mm. it's a massive own goal. I, they really should have released it. I don't hear anything in it that makes me think it shouldn't have been released. And how interesting that I know that everyone's always wonderful when they die, but the huge outpouring at, at Bowie's death in 2016 and everyone jumping on the bandwagon to try and re-release things just just remind you that. 15 years before that, David Bowie was just another artist on EMI and Virgin's roster, wasn't he? He was just, he was just, uh, he wasn't, he hadn't reached the point of being a heritage act at that point. He was just a bit old, wasn't he? And as a result of mm. which they, they, they didn't have to, you know, D- David Bowie's new album wasn't, didn't, didn't trigger hysteria. And that's what's so interesting about the next day being released in, I think it would have been 2012, 2013, that it just, it arrived overnight, didn't it? And everyone was so astonished by it. And that was such a clever strategy because everyone suddenly realised how much they'd missed David Bowie rather than, I suppose, having the usual sort of lead up promotional cycle. But no, I really liked this. I I was mystified as to why it had been left on the shelf for so long. I thought it was really quite good. I was completely unaware of the history of all Mm. this and I had no idea what to expect and genuinely did approach Toy with an open mind. And I think it's an absolute cracker. Mm. Um, I, too, simply don't understand why EMI Virgin stalled on it. Um, I must mention a a negative. It's the sleeve. Or rather, yes. the picture on the sleeve is oh, it's daft, isn't it? And if you said, I, I just think, if you said to an art director, try and come up with an image that will deter as many sales as oh, possible, it is, it is, they it could is not have come up with a better job. Absolutely ridiculous. However, absolutely terrific album. I particularly liked um, a few tracks. I dig everything, Karma Man and yes. the title track um, Toy. And yeah, Toy lovely. is out now as we say as part of the brilliant adventures box set but released in various editions on its own editions and formats on the 7th of january 2022 and on the strength of, of what we heard i'm probably going to pre-order it because i mm. really liked it i thought it was, i thought it was, it, it, I, it's just i want to have it terence it's something that i would like to have the next album is a real we're looking at three <laughs> albums here the next one is a real peculiarity back in 1978 Elvis Costello released this year's model his second album and his first with the attractions it was a major success and a couple of hit singles now in late 2021 comes a rather unusual reinterpretation of this year's model Spanish model a lineup of huge names from Spanish-speaking countries to cover the album um, it, it has these new vocals and newly recorded vocals from Elvis over the original backing tracks from the master tapes um i'm wondering jules will this be a big hit in spanish-speaking communities and countries and and how about with english-speaking uh, countries 
I was so confused by this. <laughs> so confused by this. It's I mean, you bonkers. you said you sent me this brilliantly mad video trailer for the album, which I would recommend this to 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 our listeners just simply because it is so chaotic and it and daft and it's, uh, it seems to be a bit of a spoof of those out now in all good record stores and it is it's so entertainingly nuts. I mean, I I admire Elvis Costello for giving. I think he I think he's genuinely committed to this. I admire him for for giving these Spanish speaking artists a platform across the world using his profile. I do really in a not entirely dissimilar way to Paul Simon and Grayson, I think. And I really, I really admire. Oh, that's a really good analogy. I, yeah. I, I admire him. I know, I know it's slightly different, but I admire him using his platform and his profile to, to put other musicians in the spotlight. I, I, I think that's a, that's a really good thing. Do I need to hear this again? Probably not. You know, I, I, I mean, it's, it's not awful, but I just, I just, <laughs> it just confuses me, Terence. I just find it so strange. Having said that, I do really like the original album, this year's model, and I'm, it, it seems a bit weird to me that you're sort of covering your own record in a slightly strange. I don't know. I, the, the, the Spanish musicians are good. I admire Elvis for, for. As Marina Hybert put it, commitment to the bit. I think that is that is great. But I, yeah, I was just I was just a bit confused by this, Terence. Maybe it's me, but I just I just didn't really get this. As with the Bowie album, I had no idea what to expect. But I conv- confess, I was absolutely entranced. I really love this. Oh, really? I saw a couple. Maybe of I need well, to give it another go. I'll, <laughs> I'll try and give it another go. <laughs> the the interviews in that trailer that you referred to, the the crazy trailer. There's a couple of interviews or snatches of interviews with the new Spanish uh, speaking singers, and they said they originally thought it was to quote their words, nuts. Um, and it, <laughs> and it is in the most delightful way. I love the original. And I think this is just great too. Okay. I, I have I'll no give it another fa- go. I'll give it another. Try. I have no familiarity with the artists, but they do a wholehearted job. Um, there's no going through the motions, and all seem to have a no. real affinity with Elvis Costello. I mean, I, 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 admire, I admire that actually. It does. It does seem like everybody mm. had a great time on this record, so it's I worth think- another go. I think. I think using the original tapes from Eden Studios in Kingston gives the whole project a, a sort of authentic feel, and, and nothing is lost by that. Standout tracks for me, uh, no action, I Don't Want to Go to Chelsea, which is now <laughs> retitled Yo No Quiero Ir a Chelsea. I mean, uh, I thought they, they should have gone the whole hog and gone, I don't want to go to Barcelona or somewhere <laughs> like that. I, 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 I felt they could have at least taken it to somewhere in Spain. <laughs> There are 19 featured artists representing 10 Spanish countries or communities. Elvis Costello and the attractions with these 19 guest artists. Spanish Model is available now on CD, LP and streaming. And the final example of our trio Mm. of unexpected albums is from a musician who I feel has released a series of consistently excellent solo albums since the early 1990s. Mm. And now Paul Weller has taken tracks from right across his career and reworked them with conductor Jules Buckley and the Mm. BBC Symphony Orchestra and his long-term collaborator, guitarist Steve Craddock. And it was recorded in the Barbican in London in May of this Mm. year. Um, Jules, rather like both the David Bowie and Elvis Costello albums delving back to the past seems to be catching on but does it work here with Paul Weller and the BBC Symphony Orchestra yeah I think it really does actually and and I think that Paul Weller 
he seems to have become the kind of elder statesman of a certain type. Of, I don't yes. want to call it Dab Rock because I can imagine that's probably very vexing to him. But he seems to become this kind of elder statesman of alternative music. Yeah, I feel that Paul Weller has ne- has done that without ever, and I hate the phrase selling out, but I can't think of a better phrase, without ever compromising on himself and who he is and the music that he produces. A result of which, when I first heard about this, of these three records, this was the one that made me think, actually, it makes perfect sense for Paul Weller to do this and he's the sort of artist that will do this really well. There's an increasing trend towards this kind of bleed into classical music. There are various... I think it's the Heritage Orchestra, amongst other things, and Jules Butley has been involved in some kind of stuff, of, of, of orchestras and band, brass bands doing uh, 90s dance remixes. There was something on at the Della War around the, around the corner from me recently where they were playing all these 90s dance classics with an orchestra and it worked really, really well. And so so th- this is sort of a trend that's happening a bit at the moment. And Paul Weller, as you rightly say, has written these brilliant albums you know i don't think he's released a particularly duff album actually as a solo artist and mm. and and as a result of which he's got exactly the sort of music that suits this really well it was a great idea to do this i think because some lots of the records he's made have been really lush in places and i and although some of them have had bits of orchestration on it i thought this really it felt like it added another dimension to songs it really opened them out and i just love this i thought it was brilliant as i've loved paul weller's work from in the city right through to this year's fat pop i was always going to adore this and i really do a lovely range of tracks from the breadth of paul's solo career the Style Council and the Jam. And this collection highlights what a superb songwriter Paul Weller yes, is. And so the talented. melodies work so beautifully with orchestration. They do, don't they? And um, as well as the BBC Orchestra, he's joined, as we say, by Steve Craddock. And what a su- superb guitarist he is. He is. Um, there are three guest appearances on the album, James Morrison, Boy George and Celeste. And Which is a very strange mi- Those three names are sort of a mix of very <laughs> odd, aren't they? It's a sort they of are. line-up. Each performs well, particularly James Morrison. But... I I did wonder, did we really need them? I would have been satisfied mm. with Paul Weller on his own vocally, but maybe that's, it helps. That, sell. Felt, that felt a little bit, yeah, that felt a little bit like a marketing choice yeah, to I mean, me in, those, in those in those things. Although, having said that, they were all very good. I like them all, but yes, it was it was a little bit, you know, kind of, uh, oh, you know, how can we really open? It felt a little bit. How can we really? particularly the choices of Celeste and James Morrison, I felt, how can we open this up to the Radio 2 market and the Radio 6 market Mm. at the same time? It was a little, that was a little bit cynical, though I don't, I don't blame Paul Weller and the musicians themselves for that at all. But yes, that was the only thing that was a little bit marketing exercise. Otherwise, I loved it, like you say. Yes, I think Paul Weller comes over wonderfully well on this collection with humility and great commitment. I know I'll be playing this album a lot. Uh, An an orchestrated songbook by Paul Weller with Jules Buckley and Mm. the BBC Symphony Orchestra. It's available now. Highly recommended from the people on the pod. Very much so. Coming right up, terrestrial television versus streaming services. Who's ahead in that battle? Uh, That's next after a track from this lovely new Paul Weller album. Upon the rest, yeah, I'm 
nearly 40 years ago now um he was 25 when he wrote that originally in which 19- is mad in itself isn't it, it is really? really is um originally in 1984 it was number 29 on billboard number five in the uk now a superb version with the bbc symphony orchestra paul weller and my ever-changing moods <laughs> 
That is glorious. That is, like you say, astonishing that that he wrote that so young. Really, it puts mm-hmm. me in mind of um, "Only Love Can Break Your Heart" by uh, by Jackson Brown, who wrote that when he was seventeen, I think. So, mm-hmm. so it's just this. There are some people that are just born with wisdom, aren't they? Really. So, so I, yeah, I, I think that's such a such a great record and such a lovely choice from that album, I think as well. Jules, at the moment in my household, apart mm. from the BBC licence fee mm-hmm. and a monthly fee of, wait for this, 140 quid for Virgin Media. 140 uh, quid a month? That a is, month. Oh, yeah. gosh, gosh. Crucially, it's got television with all the sports channels on it. Um, oh, OK. Uh, Still, we, that's a lot, I know. We also pay anything from about 7 to 9 each month to each of these. Uh, mm. Netflix... Apple, Amazon Prime, Mm. Disney Plus and Spotify for music. Um, I may even have forgotten one or two, to be honest. (laughs) When (laughs) when Rupert Murdoch launched Sky and persuaded people to pay a monthly subscription for Mm. additional content beyond uh, the handful of terrestrial channels, he really opened up what has become a new world of competing providers, all of whom ask us to give yet more for access to this fractured market Mm. but you've been looking into how despite all the overtures and offers the terrestrial channels are not just hanging in there they're winning the battle for audiences absolutely and this is so interesting because it runs really against the narrative that we've been given over the the last few years by certain media outlets weirdly including the one from which i took this story so i took this story it's by jim waterson who's the media editor of the guardian and the guardian you know, I am a Guardian person. This will shock no one. You indeed. Are, any of, any of us that hang out, you call it my Guardian. And although yeah. I, I don't read the hard copy very much nowadays, I support the website and I subscribe. And, and yeah, I, you know, it's still my paper of choice. Having said that, though, even I know how ridiculous the Guardian is, even though I still I still read it. And and there's this this sort of they've been shoveling this for the last few years. This real and and to be fair, the Guardian is not alone in this. All the big sort of papers and and middle class outlets have been telling us how the streaming revolution and how that's how you know they always recommend you the streaming things. Even the dear old Radio Times has a couple of pages about about you know what's good on streaming this this week. Um and yet. It would seem from this Guardian story, according to Barb, the, uh, the the television ratings agency, Strictly Come Dancing attracted substantially more viewers than Squid Game on British TV screens in October. I mean, you only have to pick up anything at the moment to read about Squid Game. Uh, the BBC is what's described as a celebrity dancing show. That's pretty nebulous, given that I hardly seem to know who anyone is on it anymore. But still, um, it, it attracted 10.4 million viewers for its most popular episode in October. Squid Games, most popular, the final episode, 5.8 million. So that's that's getting on, you know, that's not much more than 50%. I mean, obviously, the, the, the figures have sort of multiple caveats to them, but it would seem that the new data um, suggests that p- most people in Britain, the majority of people in Britain, still watch TV on TV, it would seem. And and they, they took the most, the, the, the biggest sort of um, audiences that have watched things, and so, and these are for figures, programs watched on a TV set. So I suppose the, I guess what we're saying is that if people are using streaming services, maybe there are people that are using those streaming services on a laptop or on a mobile mm. device rather than necessarily an old school TV set. Although having said that, I've got a, like you, I, I, I don't, I don't spend as much on TV as you do. But having said mm. that, I have got, I've got a, t- I've got t- two televisions at home, one in my bedroom, which I know is really bad for me. I'm sorry. And one in the, one in the front room. And, 
and the front room has a BT Vision box, uh, which I mostly got with my internet. So I, 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 I subscribe to BT Sport. That's the only thing on that sort of world that I subscribe to now. And then I have a Netflix subscription and I have uh, Amazon Prime and, and the, the, the thing that you plug into the TV, the fire stick. And, and so I do watch iPlayer and Prime and Netflix through my TV sets. So I, I don't, I don't stream, but I can, so maybe if you took stuff watched on mobile devices into account, maybe the figures would, would look different. So I think that's a caveat that's worth mentioning. But when you look at the top 10 programs watched on TV sets, the highest Netflix program or, or sort of streaming platform program is Squid Game with 5.8 million. Everything else, Blankety Blank, The Long Call, Coronation Street, Country File, Shetland, Silent Witness, The Larkins, Great British Bake Off and Strictly Come Dancing, all of which I would say were pretty mainstream TV programs as well, are mm. all on TV and, and, and on terrestrial TV, which I think is really interesting. So there's been some criticism. Does this mean that this sort of popularity and cultural influence of Netflix has been overstated. And if you dig deeper into the data, if you look at the top 100 most watched programmes on British TV sets in October, how many of those 100 do you think are um, programmes produced by a streaming service, Terence? Well, the way this conversation is going, it's going to be very small. Yes, exactly. Four of those wow. programs of the hundred, which is which is really small, isn't it? If you it's think incredible. about, and it says, uh, and and this this is a good, um, this is a really good paragraph, I think. Um, the new data shows how traditional British TV uh, free-to-air channels can still consistently deliver larger audiences than paid for streaming services. First episode, you might have heard this. I've seen it advertised on Netflix. The much hyped drama called Made. Um, and how many viewers did it attract on TV sets in October? 2.5 million viewers in the UK, which is, and if you want to put it into context, more people watch celebrity catchphrase on ITV game, an ITV game show than they did made. More people watched um, Channel 5's Al Yorkshire Farm, which is about um, the, the, the shepherdess uh, Amanda Rowan. And more people watched an, an ITV behind the scenes documentary about Heathrow Airport, which to be fair does sound quite interesting mm. than watch, than watched Man. I mean, Barb made the point that you can't, that they're not they're not you know you can't they're not picking up data on mobile devices which perhaps is leaving out quite a subset of how young people watch tv and i think that's possibly the key to this um but you know it's, it's i found it really interesting terence because they reckon that that um digital eye did um did a sort of a is a, is a rival to barb and they think that a large number of britons have been missed from these figures because they estimate that 30 percent of squid game viewing time took place on smartphone tablets or computers maybe this is about maybe this is more of a study of the way that media is consumed and the methods which people use to consume media than it is about the actual media itself Mm, I'm someone who's never watched Strictly Come Dancing or Squid Game. Mm. Uh, to me, that the most fun- <laughs> the perfect person to comment on this. Thank yeah, exactly. you, Terence. <laughs> well, the, the most fundamentally depressing element of these statistics mm. from Barb. What is it? Broadcasters Audience Research Board. Something like that. Let's go with that. That sounds. That sounds the, cha- the, the chart that you mentioned of the most watched shows on UK television. No wonder they keep making and televising the yeah. same rubbish. It's because the majority. 
seem to what want to watch Absolutely. the same rubbish. It must be me who's out of step. You know, when you, you mentioned yeah. the top ten Strictly Come Dancing, The Larkins, Country File, Coronation Street and Blankety Blank. It's pretty what, mainstream beige, isn't it, really? What is the matter with people? On the contrary, it must be me who, who it just must be me who craves for more than this. Me and a small minority of agitators, I suppose. Yeah. I, I, saw, I saw a report. This may have something linked to it. I saw a report Mm. earlier this year from Ofcom that found that the average viewer in the UK watches television for six hours and 25 minutes every day. Oh, God, that's a a lot. Well, you see, we might think that excessive. I do. Yeah, I know people Mm. who turn on the television to accompany their breakfast and don't turn it off again until Well. I suppose it's for such people that the terrestrial channels in particular churn out more of the yes, same. Yes, I suppose that's that's the audience that's being catered for, I guess. It's um it is it is interesting and and a bit discouraging, isn't it really? I do I do see your point. I suppose the one saving grace is that Mrs Brown's boys wasn't in his top wasn't 10. I suppose list, that no. is I suppose that is that is a that is a thing. It's it's yeah, maybe that's a really good point I think. Maybe, you know, like you say it's it's being catered for the audience that consumes in this way and mm. you know, mate, they hadn't said that. I mean, the, the main channels are capable of making interesting tv although to be honest i I don't know if there's something in this i'm just going to throw this out there as a point the most interesting memorable pro tv sort of fictional series that i've seen over the last couple of years that i very much enjoyed on lockdown no one can really understand why it wasn't given a second series because there was more life in that i think was something called giri haji which was um, shown on BBC Two. And that was a joint enterprise between BBC and Netflix. And it was the most interesting, innovative drama thing I've seen in a number of years. And maybe part of me thinks maybe artistically the future is that, sort of channels collaborating together. Although I don't understand why it wasn't recommissioned, Terence. Really strange. Mm. Yeah, no, I, I don't, I, I don't pretend to understand any of this at all. As I say, I'm mm. so out of step with what <laughs> the majority seem to want. I just, yeah, I'm, I'm in a world of my own here. Yeah, I think I might be too. Yeah, thanks very much for joining us this week. Lovely to yes. have you along. Yeah, absolutely. And I'd like you to come and visit me in my house, even though yes. I'm not allowed to be visited at the moment. A pleasure to spend this time with you on the old, on the older uh, audio thing. And live or streaming, you can catch more of Juliet each weekend. You can, yes. How exciting for you, I'm sure. Anyway, you could you can catch me from 10 to 9 p.m. live on my Mixer channel, which is mixlr.com forward slash Juliet hyphen Harris, or search for my name on the site. I go live on Sunday evenings doing smooth sailing, which is just a nice little time with some nice records on it, really, and a bit of chat from me. And if you miss it and you'd like to catch up, you can stream it, as I believe the younger people say, um, on my showreel, which is uh, there's a button with showreel on my page on Mixer. So if you press that, I put all the old shows up on there. To play us out, a band described by all music as quaint and unsettling. <laughs> I mean, you know, isn't that us as well? We've come up a lot this week. Anyway, um, I, a band called Pram, who I first came across years ago um, on... And if ever a name of a compilation carbon dated the time from which it came, there was a two pure records compilation, record label compilation I bought some years ago that was called Pop 
do we not like that which <laughs> surprisingly was released in 1993-4 so yes really does poor old Grand Taylor it really does mm. uh, really does date that time I bought it essentially because I was becoming very interested in the music of PJ Harvey and Stereo Lab at that point both of whom started off on 2Pure and were on that compilation and there was this band called Prownit who I thought were really strange and I really liked so that like you say quaint and unsettling is a great description and I sort of checked in with them occasionally over the years but kind of forgot about them a bit and they played down in St Leonard's where I live literally about a mile from my house during 2019 so it was probably one of the last live gigs I went to I think in the before times and they played the back room of a pub near me a friend of mine who knew of them and knew some of their circle when she lived in Birmingham basically harassed the local music presenter uh, presenter promoter into putting them on um, on the basis that she would put them up in her house if he could get them to play so he did and they they were uh, plugging a record and they were brilliant live they were so good and it was such a small room when you think about it now in the times we live in you do slightly shudder a bit but I remember being so close to the band that the bloke that played the trombone played a, played a note where he pushed out and the end of the trombone whistled past my ear and made my fringe <laughs> blow up that's how near we were to the band in those days but um, but they're, they're a great band I think and my friend Susan who I've just spoken about loves this song and I, I have this kind of habit of loving other people's favorite records because i love them this happens mm. all the time to me and as a result of which i adore this song because it's a particular favorite of susan's and i think it's it's like you say it, it, it's got such a sweetness to it but it's a bit weird at the same time and like all the best people in life i suppose and i just i just really like this this is pram and this is sleepy sweet <laughs>
You've been listening to a Parish Council production. <laughs>